0: This morning we're going to continue in the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Let's listen to God's holy word. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told... But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out in the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies in the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding in us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell, them, tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down of the hills, forded the river, and came To Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Great God and Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us your word to be our light on the path. And we ask, O Lord, that you would indeed lead us and guide us. When we come to a place we cannot cross, we pray that you would clear the river and make it and stop it up so we can cross. Give us guidance, make ways where we don't know where the way how we will go forward. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would grant us your grace and mercy, that you would give us comfort and also challenge us to be the people that you've called us to be. O oh Lord, we we look to you; our eyes are on you to teach us and lead us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In my first prayer this morning, we talked about the legacy of Dick Wellens. One of the things is he had a vision for for helping the needy in this area, and he really had a clear vision of how to carry that out. And he brought other people along, and he organized resources in order to, um, to carry that out. And so, he, we, we celebrate today his legacy even as we mourn his loss. And I think it's a question, as we think about um, Dick Wellens, we should also think about ourselves. Where, what will we say at the end of our days? What will our legacy be? What will we be leaving behind? Will we just uh, dribble out our life and just go along? Or will we have a, a vision to do something more that will last for the generations and impact the people behind us? It's really a question that we should uh, probably think about a lot more than we do to think about the whole of our life and what we want to accomplish. Um, You know, we don't know if we're going to have another day, but we also know that generally people have the 70 or 80 years, and we should also consider that as well. Now, today we have an example of of, uh, a woman who had an amazing legacy, and we're going to look at that. It's a really surprising person. And it's a really surprising legacy, but I think it can instruct us and in something that we can do to leave a legacy behind us that will bless the generations to come. So as we begin this story in in Joshua chapter two, there is uh, there's the people reading this for the first time, uh, and those you know as we consider it, there's some things that actually might indicate that there's a significant problem. Remember, Joshua is just coming to the to kind of a new starting point to try to take the land of Canaan. And he is contemplating what to do. And his first thought is to send out spies. And to those who've read the previous books, that might alert someone to a problem. Because spies had been sent before. Forty years earlier, they had an opportunity to enter the land. God had led them out of Egypt, and they sent um, 12 spies into the land. And these spies came back and said to Moses, we went into the la-, in uh, Numbers um, 13, verse 27, we went into the land to which you sent, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit that they brought back. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And then they go on to say, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people, they are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size are great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And so Joshua was one of the spies that had gone there, and he had actually given a contrary report, and he almost got stoned for it. He almost got killed. And so when you think about sending the spies, you think, uh uh-oh, here we go again. Not spies being sent into the land. In addition, they're sent out from a place called Shittim. And this was a place where uh, the Moabites had seduced Israel to commit spiritual and and physical adultery, and it had caused a big problem in the land and had, had result in God's judgment upon them. And so here they are at this very place which is very ominous to them. But, and what do they do? Uh, at this Going out from this place where they had committed spiritual adultery. I mean, just listen to the words. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. This is not sounding good. <laughs> this is not the right direction. And if you actually in the original language it's there's definitely seems to be slightly stronger. Uh, I'll just say that as to what is being indicated. So then not only that, they they are also not very good at spying. They almost they, they enter the first place and they immediately get caught. They already know what they're doing. It just seems like this is headed for a total disaster. In addition, the name Rahab sounds a lot like the the monster of the sea, Rahab, which is also a name for Egypt. So it's the sort of person with that name that you expect, oh no, and there's Rahab. What is she going to do? And so you have this setup for really a pretty bad situation to occur. Here they are at the beginning of this new stage to conquer the land. God said, be strong and very courageous. Go in, meditate on the book of the law, and I'll be with you. And then it seems like everything's about to go wrong. But then, what do they find there? Instead of finding disaster, they find a woman who fears God. They find a woman of faith in the most unlikely place they find that this woman who is a prostitute is actually also a woman of faith, which may make us scratch our head a bit. And that's okay. It is something that's meant to be sort of shocking that this is not what you would expect to find. And you know, I find that oftentimes we, ha- we end up having our preconceptions about what we're going to find amongst particular people or particular places. And we should not be surprised, though, to find that God is already working in ways that we wouldn't expect, even among the Canaanites. We think we know what other people are thinking and what other people are doing, but often we do not. We don't really understand it. And I was thinking about this, and I just remember being in a little town in in Spain. I've shared this story before, but it just struck me again. Just this man was sitting there. Everybody, it was about 5 o'clock. Everybody in the town was, was nowhere. No one was there to be seen. There was, it was the heat of the day, and everybody was inside. It was the time of the siesta. And there was one man there, and he had traveled up from the lower lands to the highlands uh, just in order to be in the town. And uh, we started talking because I was trying to get advice on how to get some refreshments because we had walked four miles from the camp to this place in the heat. And so he explained it to me, and I just remember having a conversation with him about the Lord and his mercy, and I just remember saying, yeah, and the Lord is merciful and he can forgive our sins, but it's only because of what Jesus has done. And he was just like, yes, I absolutely believe that. Here he was in the middle of this this pueblo. I was not expecting that, but there was a man who gave a testimony to faith in Christ. You never know what you will find there. But what they also find, the other surprising thing that they find is not just Rahab, but just that actually, though when they saw the giants, when they saw the big land before, they were totally afraid of the, of the people of Canaan. Now the people of Canaan, even though they might look formidable, even though they did have formidable cities and weapons, were actually afraid of the people of Israel. And so it was a very surprising encounter. But the key person here is Rahab, and I want to focus a little bit more on her and talk about the faith of Rahab. Now, if you look at verse 8 or verse 9 of chapter 2, note that she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And so she says that she knows that the Lord has given you this land. Now contrast this to what they had experienced 40 years earlier. The people of Israel, the people of faith, had gone up there and they didn't believe that God would give them the land. But this woman, a Canaanite and a prostitute, had come to believe that the Lord was going to fulfill his promise... To give them this land. That is her faith. She believed the promises of God. She believed that, that in the God of Israel. She believed that God, he, in verse 11 she says, We heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage f- failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So she believed that God, the God of Israel, was the true God. That he was powerful and able to act, and that he had promised to give them the land, and that he would do it. This is real faith. This is someone who heard of the promises of God and said, I believe and trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, which is all the more shocking because Israel so often faltered on this point. But this woman, this Canaanite, whom, again, this is the first Canaanite we meet here. Remember, they're going to say, we're going to wipe out the Canaanites. You're going to get rid of them because they're, they've polluted the land. And the first Canaanite they meet is one who believes in God and his promises and acts in accordance with that. She does, she, because she believes it, she hides the men, she helps the men, and then she asks them to, def, to save her and her family out of faith in the promises. And you see, it's not just here. This is an impression that was had in the rest of the scripture. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we have what's often called the Hall of Faith, playing on the idea of a Hall of Fame. And we have a list of people who had great faith and what that looked like. And so if you look at Hebrews 11, you'll find something interesting. A lot of this covers Abraham and Moses, but also other people. In verse 31, though, speaking of faith, it says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Note that it mentions Rahab in the list of people of great faith. You know who it doesn't mention? Joshua. His name's not even in there. But she mentions Rahab. This is the first example of faith, and it's of a Gentile Canaanite woman. It's really quite astonishing. And so, let me extract that out and say, try to help us see what are we talking about when we're talking about faith. When we have faith, this can be an act; it can also be a characteristic, uh, a believing person. And I would say, first, is that faith is when we see God. Obviously, not necessarily literally, but we have him in our minds. That we see not only the world, but we see the God who rules over it. We see not only the people and the problems around us, but the God who is working in them. That we see not only our sins, but the God who forgives. That we see not only our helplessness, but the God who is our strength. That we see not only our lack of wisdom, but the God who is our guidance. That is faith. That we don't just think about the problems, we think also and see God as part of the equation. That's the element of faith. But then it's not just that we see that He's there, but it's also that we believe that He's going to act. And He's going to act in accordance with who He is that He's the God who is gracious and compassionate, but also just and a judge who will do righteousness and truth in the earth, that he's a faithful God, who will continue doing good to those whom he's promised it in spite of their failings. That is the kind of God that we serve, that he's powerful, that he's able to do great things, that he made heaven and earth, that he's going to act in accordance with all these things. So that's the second thing. God. We know what kind of God he is and that he will act in accordance with who he is. But then third... Faith also clings to promises. Some things God doesn't promise us. Though sometimes He gives us gifts. He doesn't. He hasn't promised that any one of us will have a nice car um, that we can drive around. There's no promise in the Bible that says that. But He often is give. Most of us He has given cars too. Uh, but sometimes He doesn't. But He does say He'll take care of us. And so he may do it through giving us a car. He may do it through not giving us a car. He may decide that he just wants to give us a good gift. He may also want to use it for other purposes. What does he promise to do? He's promised to take care of us. He's promised to forgive our sins. He's promised to guard us from all evil. He's promised to bring us as believers to his eternal kingdom and so on. All these things are the promise of the Lord. Some of those which Brennan read for us earlier. So you can take that. And it's good to take several of those promises or or a group of those promises and let them really be part of your heart so that you can increase your faith. In this case, Rahab knew that God was powerful, that he was faithful to his people, that he he was a judge who would also condemn the wicked. But they also knew that he had promised that he would give them the land, and she believed all of that. She is an example of someone who saw God, who knew about God, and who believed that he would act in accordance with who he was and what he had promised. Now, this faith that she had made a huge impact. And that's what I want to talk about next. The legacy of the faith of Rahab. So the first thing that happens immediately because of her faith is she encourages the Israelites. She encourages the Israelites Look at uh, the end of chapter 2. The spies go back and they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Because of her statement, because of her encouragement, the Israelites were encouraged in their faith to move forward. That's what can happen when we hear someone in the midst of this world say the words of faith that come out of their hearts. So she encouraged the Israelites. But secondly, she saved her family. She saved her family. If you look at Joshua 6.25, you'll see that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And so... She got spared. Her whole family was spared. The Lord had said, this city is to be destroyed. Was, There's was particular reasons for that one too, which maybe we'll talk about in days to come. But he spared Rahab and her family. Why? Because of her faith by which she acted to save the men and to do what they had asked her to do and gather her family there so that they could live and move on in the context of the church. That's what happened Because she had faith. But her legacy continued. And it continues because we're talking about it today. She gave an example of faith for the generations. That when she saw that her own world was going to crumble before her, that she saw something bigger, the purposes of God, took hold of those things and moved forward into the future that he had for her. And that is the, the vision that we have of her that we're still talking about today. It's here in, in Joshua chapter 2, but it's, we also read it in Hebrews 11, and James chapter 2. This is what happens when people have faith and act out of faith. It reverberates through the generations. But then finally, she became a mother of David and by extension, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, it's a list of Jesus' genealogy, which is primarily men. But then you see that that it says in verse 5, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and so on, until it leads to Christ. And so because of her faith, she got to be in the line of mothers, mothers of Jesus. And what an honor that is. And so you see that because of her faith, she left a legacy for her family, for the Israelites, for the generations, and became a, and became a mother of Christ. Now, Of course, um, we can't become a mother of Christ. He's already born. But the rest of that we can do. <laughs> the rest of that we can do. We can leave a legacy of faith. And how do we do that? Well, we get to know God. We get to know God. We, we think about who are we talking about when we're talking about the Lord. As we read the Bible, as we look out in creation, as we see his works, we start to think about what kind of God made this world and wants to interact with it. But then we also can get to know his promises, as we said. That we can see what has God actually promised to do. And we can take hold of those things and let them become our meditation day and night. That becomes the foundation for our life and our expectation for the future. And then we learn, third, to practice seeing that in every situation. That we, we see not just um, our children. We see the God who is over them. We see not just our parents, but the God who is working with them. It is we see the in the midst of conflict. Not just that God is working with us, but He's also working with the ones with whom we're in conflict. When we feel that we are unseen, we learn to see the God who sees us, as um, Hagar did. That's the practice of faith in every time, in every place, in every situation. Not that we say everything's fine, everything's better, but that we see not only ourselves and the problems and the people, but we see the God who is over them all and working for our good. That is the faith that God gives us the power to have. When one person can get their eyes off the situation, lift their eyes and see God as part of the equation and act in accordance with that vision, It can make a world of difference that will last for the generations. Thus may it be.